Hey, listen, with those new invitation cards, that was a good suggestion to leave it uh, with your server at the restaurant. Unless you leave a crappy tip, don't. <laughs> you only leave an invitation to the church if you leave a good tip. Like, I'm actually pretty serious about that. Servers have a lot to say about Christians who come to restaurants. You should go on the internet and read about it. So leave good tips and invite them to church and talk to them about Jesus. All right, so uh, anybody here know about online strategy games? And you know, you know about these things. Um, I don't really much know about them except uh, what I've seen like in commercials and that kind of thing. But um, games like Age of Empires or the Civilizations uh, series are wildly popular today. Uh, billions of dollars come in for those that make these games. Um, we, we at home are uh, much less into video games, a lot less into video games. We play the more analog version, uh, Settlers of Catan. How many uh, Catan people here? Uh, we love Settlers of Catan, and most of the time when we play, we can maintain our Christian testimony. Not always, but, <laughs> but sometimes. And um, the, the idea with all of these games, whether it's a, a tabletop version or, or, or an online uh, or electronic one, is that you gather what you need, you do it faster than uh, your competitors, you do it bigger than they do it, and you build your own empire, your own civilization in order to win. And as we uh, look again at the gospel this morning, in essence, what we're going to see is that Jesus was playing his own game of kingdom building throughout the gospel. Uh, he gathered people, he, um, he did powerful miracles, he challenged uh, the existing uh, leadership and rulers of the day through subversive lessons. Uh, he was setting up the kingdom of God. He was building his own eternal empire. And unlike the uh, games that you'll play, uh, the people that he picked out as uh, kingdom builders were not seasoned uh, soldiers. They were not skilled tradesmen. They were not savvy uh, politicians. The people that Jesus picked out in the gospel to be kingdom builders were actually um, outcasts and misfits. They were people who were uh, disabled and sickly and impoverished. They were blue-collar workers. They were children. They were uneducated. They were women. They were the aged. All of whom had little to no standing in the culture of the day. And if you were trying to win at building a civilization or building an empire or a kingdom, these would not be the people that you would pick. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus did. And in fact, in today's passage, it's a poor widow who stands as the example of a kingdom builder in contrast to the rich who were all around her. And what she put into the kingdom was so significant, so noteworthy, that Jesus puts her in front of us as the example and, and really puts in front of us a very important question. What am I putting into the building of God's kingdom? What am I putting in? You need to ask that for yourself. What are you putting in to the building of Christ's kingdom. Really short passage, just four verses right at the start of Luke 21. We're going to look at these. I'll pray and we'll, I'll start working through it. Luke 21, 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's pray. 
Father, often these uh, short passages and uh, single verses can um, really penetrate our heart. And we, we understand that even in coming here today, we're once again opening our heart to have you reveal things that we might not be willing to talk about or even think about, things that we don't want to have exposed, things that we don't want to deal with. Father, I think how one of our elders prayed this morning before these services about the strongholds we have in our life and how money is such an all-consuming stronghold. So God, there's no doubt as we talk about this here today, it's going to be rough for some of us. And yet we in this moment would just invite your Holy Spirit to come again to do the work that only he can do to, to convict us, to, to transform us as we hear your word. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Very half-hearted amen. 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 All right. I hope you prayed that and believe that and are seeking that. What am I putting into the building of Christ's kingdom? And when it comes uh, to this kingdom building, what does that person look like? And these three words, you can look down in your notes, you see the word sacrifice, sincerity, and selflessness. As I was doing my uh, study for this week, I generally start with just the text of God's word and just making a lot of notes about it and thinking about things and ideas and how am I going to go with this. And then I go to some reading. And as I was reading uh, a couple of commentaries, actually, these were the notes in the ESV study Bible. I saw these three words, very short comment, but it just said, that this widow displayed a sacrifice and, and sincerity and selflessness in her gift. And I said, I can't better those three words. It really describes exactly what's going on here. And so that forms the basis of our outline here. And so we're asking the question, what am I putting into the building of Christ's kingdom? And a sacrifice is the first thing. Am I sacrificing? Is it costing me something? Is what I'm putting into the kingdom of God, if I claim to be a follower of Christ, is what I'm putting into the kingdom of God, is that costly to me? And I was thinking about the cost of following Jesus, and I came across this quote by J.C. Ryle. He said this, but it does cost something to be a real Christian, according to the standard of the Bible. There are enemies to be overcome and battles to be fought and sacrifices to be made, an Egypt to be forsaken, a wilderness to be passed through, a cross to be carried, a race to be run. All of that is costly. I, I could add to that um, offerings to be given and time to be spent and passion to flow and gifts to be used. All of this in the fulfillment of the Christ-given mission that we have in this world. And you start to hear all of that and you realize not only is there so much at stake in terms of building God's kingdom, but it's going to cost me something. That I have to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ's kingdom. Now, notice in the text, verse 2, Jesus points out this poor widow who put in two small copper coins. Now, he points this out because it was such an insignificant amount at the end of the day. In fact, um, uh, these coins are so plentiful as they're um, uh, doing excavations in the Holy Land uh, throughout the Mediterranean world. They find these two little coins made out of copper, such a plentiful metal. It wasn't really worth anything at all. Just two copper coins. In fact, I thought about our own copper coins. I would have liked to have brought you two Canadian ones, but of course, we don't have those anymore. We, so I have two American ones here. We consider the copper coin to be so insignificant 
that it wasn't even worth minting them and, and putting them into circulation any longer. And so I could go on a big history lesson about how little the two copper coins were, but we, in fact, know already the two copper coins aren't worth anything. This week, I was walking from my car into the office through the parking lot, and I noticed as I was walking, there was a penny on the ground. I was like, I am not picking that up. <laughs> I am not risking putting my back out for a penny, and I kept walking. It's not worth anything. Not worth anything. And so th that's the offering that this widow puts in. But Jesus says, verse 3, she put in more than everyone else who gave. Not more than one rich person who put their thing in, but all the other people, the sum total of the people who were giving. She gave more than all of that. She put in more than everyone else who gave. She, Jesus went on to say in verse 4, out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Now listen, if you're looking for a description or a definition of sacrifice, that's it. She gave it all. And this was costly to her. I mean, Jesus had been pounding on this theme throughout the entirety of the gospel, and he keeps coming back to it because it is such a stronghold in our lives. The God of, of money does dominate our society and our culture. Earn it, save it, spend it, invest it. Gather things for yourself. Uh, fill your life with possessions. Fill yourself, your life with comfort. Assure yourself of a great retirement. Be dependent on no one. It's all we can think about. It's all our society wants us to think about. How you can have even more. And so this is, that's why this is so hard to talk about sacrifice. And Jesus has been dealing with this. And in fact, if you want to jot down this reference in Luke chapter 12, 13 to 32, Luke 12, 13 to 32, he's already dealt with this. This is just one of the places. But in that passage, it's the parable of the rich fool. And after he tells the parable, he does an explanation of it so that we make sure that we get the point of it. And he says this, Jesus told us to stop laying up treasures for ourselves. Stop amassing stuff just for you. And instead, he says, be rich toward God. Start investing in things that are eternal. Start being about building the kingdom. And then, of course, this whole contrast is being set up now between those who lay up treasures for themselves and those who are rich toward God. And he talks about these uh, folks, these, these folks that are uh, laying up treasures for themselves as, as being anxious for their life. You're so worried about everything that you just want more and more money. You're worried about what people think about you. You're worried about your future. You're worried about all these things, about putting on airs for others and, and being in the right neighborhood and having the right... You're worried about all of that. and be, Stop being anxious about those things. In fact, just the very suggestion that we would have to sacrifice for Christ is going to create even more anxiety for some of us. Because I already feel like I don't have enough because of the, what the world is telling me. Christ wouldn't have us have that anxiety. He wouldn't have us have all that fear. To sacrifice would mean even more worry and more fear. And yet God says in setting up this contrast, you lay up treasure for yourself and it's going to be anxiety. If you're rich toward God, you're seeking God's kingdom, he says in, in, in Luke 12. Because you're seeking to build his kingdom, you won't have the fear. You won't have the anxiety. 
And then he identifies at the end of it what the real problem is when he cries out to them, oh, you of little, what does he say? Oh, you of little faith. I mean, you can't get to the place where you're willing to sacrifice for the kingdom to build the kingdom unless you have a genuine faith in Christ. If you don't have genuine faith in Christ, then none of this actually makes sense. If you're not a believer, none of this makes sense. And it's unlikely that you would be willing to sacrifice for him. But this woman, this poor widow, she had it. Her gift, her sacrifice actually flowed from a life of faith, from her trust in God for everything. And Jesus commends her. He lifts her up as the example. You want to be a kingdom builder? You need to be like this widow. When you sacrifice for Christ, you're going to get that commendation too. I love it. David Garland just said it so succinctly. God welcomes giving that comes out of deep, deep sacrifice. He welcomes that. That's the kind of giving he's actually looking for here. And so at this point, this is where some people go, okay, well, what kind of number are we talking about? What's the percentage? Just tell me. Pastors get this question all the time. How much should I actually uh, be giving? And uh, if you've been here for any length of time, the last, about a year and a half ago, uh, two years ago, we taught on this, talked about tithing, and that's not a thing we do here. Okay, we do not believe that tithing, we do not believe that tithing is taught for Christians. That might be surprising for you to hear that if you're newer around here. We don't use the word. We don't believe the Bible teaches Christians to do that. And when I'm talking about tithing, of course, I'm talking about the 10%. That that would be the amount that I would give to the Lord. And mainly because too many Christians see tithing as, a, as the ultimate goal to reach. If I'm tithing, I've arrived. Okay, but none of us have arrived on this side of eternity, amen? None of us have. And the thing about tithing, too, is that, okay, so I give 10% to God, but that means I keep how much? Help me with the math. I keep 90 90 sounds like a lot. Does that sound like a lot to you? How many people never got a 90 in high school and thought that it was a lot, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to show you that 90 is a lot. 90 is a lot. But that's, that's the, if I could just give God 10%, I get to keep all the rest of it. And, and of course, then that doesn't stretch me at all. It doesn't stretch my faith at all. It actually limits me. It puts a cap on the thing that God might be willing to do in my life, might want to do. The thing about tithing is it doesn't sound, 10% doesn't sound especially sacrificial when I get to keep 90. That's what we're trying to go after is, is sacrifice. And you're deceived if you believe that you have achieved a level of maturity in the faith because you tithe when in fact the exact opposite may be true. Limiting yourself to a tithe may actually show immaturity it may actually show a lack of faith. Now, still, some have asked me, okay, I get it, I get it, again, but how much? What constitutes sacrifice? Is it 5%? Is it 5% more? Is it 15? Is it 20? Is it 25? What constitutes sacrifice? And it's actually the wrong question. It's not at all about the amount but about the heart and the spirit behind the gift. It's not even about what you're left with at the end. 
after you've brought your gift, but whether or not you've acknowledged as this woman did, that it all belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. The paycheck you're getting this week, it's all his. The house you live in, the cars you drive, if it's not all being leveraged for the kingdom, if you weren't willing to give it all up for him, if you aren't already using it all for the sake of his kingdom, then you don't get it yet. The widow put in all she had. Have you put in all you have to building the kingdom? And she gave 100%. She gave 100%. That doesn't make sense in terms of this next week's paycheck. I can't put 100% in. I have other obligations. So it's not about the amount. It's not about the particular offering. It's does everything belong to God in my life or not? And her faith seen in her sacrifice and how she managed what God had given to her. I'm telling her faith is light years ahead of mine. So we're asking this question, what am I putting into the building of Christ's kingdom? Am I being sacrificial? Is it costing me something? And then secondly, is there sincerity in what I'm bringing? Is it... Is it is it heartfelt? Again, it's not about the specific thing that was being done. It's not about the two copper coins going into the offering box. It's about her heart. And it's, it's so significant that Jesus chooses to point her out and commend her. He's always about the heart. And by any normal accounting... As you would have just even observed, you wouldn't have need a calculus or an abacus to kind of figure this out as people were bringing their offerings. It would have been painfully obvious that this woman, just by counting, this particular woman did not give more than everyone else. She did not. By any normal accounting. And yet Jesus says, she put in more than all of them. Is Jesus wrong? I'll give you another run at that because that's really important <laughs> that you acknowledge that Jesus does not do things wrong, okay? Was Jesus wrong? No. Not wrong, okay? Never wrong, correct. So what's he talking about when he says that she put in more than all of them? Well, the, the fact of the matter is God calculates things differently than we do, isn't that right? God calculates things differently than we do. It's no surprise to us that God measures and evaluates on the basis of things that we cannot see. One of the best examples of this, go back to the Old Testament, in the very early days of the monarchy, and uh, King Saul had been put in place by God, but he was like an absolute train wreck of a king. And so God made the determination and let Samuel know, I'm going to pick a new king. And so he sends Samuel off. Um, to, uh, to, to Jesse's house, and Jesse brings out uh, seven sons, and um, Samuel's going to look at each one of them and determine one of these is going to be the king of Israel. And so the first son comes up, his name's Eliab, and he comes up, and 
Samuel gets a look at him, and, and I don't know if he just thought he was like tall and he was uh, a good-looking guy, and uh, maybe he had a presence about him, and he's a firstborn, so for sure, they rule the world anyway. <laughs> so, so Samuel thinks, Lord, is this the one? And then God stops him right there before he sees any of the other boys. And he says this to him. This is in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 7. He says this, for the Lord sees not as a man sees. Samuel, you've got it wrong. Man looks on the outward appearance. You think the guy, the guy looks like a king. But, but the Lord, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, after the very first one where Samuel makes a mistake on evaluating on the basis of just what he could see, God corrects him, and he now uses the new standard, just waiting on the Lord to find out, and he goes through the next six guys, and none of the seven of them are the right one. And Samuel goes to Jesse and says, like, are these all your sons? He says, well, no, there's another one. He's out in the field. He's taking care of the sheep, just a kid. Bring that one here. And while David was still coming toward him, God said to Samuel, that's the one. His own dad didn't think he was qualified. And Samuel took the oil and anointed his head, anointed David as the king of Israel. God looks on the heart. We look on the outward appearance. Man counts the dollar bills. God's looking at her passion for the ministry and her love for God and her genuine and sincere worship. And we really want to understand that this is a heart action on her part and not just some religious ritual that she's going through. And in order to see that heart action, you need to see what's going on here in the first part of chapter 21 in light of what happened back in chapter 20. We looked at this last week. Jesus has this encounter with these religious leaders called the Sadducees. They're, they're theological liberals, okay? They don't believe in miracles, don't believe in the afterlife. Jesus kind of deals with all of them. And, then he, and they're rich, by the way. They could be the ones that we're seeing giving offerings here in the first part of chapter 21. Then he talks to the scribes about them. They're teachers of the law. And he says some pretty hard things about them in the last few verses of chapter 20. One of the things he says about them, verse 47, is that they devour widows' houses. Interesting. They're devouring widows' houses. And here's Jesus esteeming a widow for being a kingdom builder. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense, they make long prayers. In other words, their religious, the whole way that they approached their religion was about pretense. That's the word in the text. We, we saw last week that it just means to pretend. They were just pretending. There was absolutely nothing coming from their heart. And again, Jesus is setting up a contrast between these Sadducees and these scribes who are pretentious in their worship, pretending to be something they're not, versus this woman who's completely genuine and heartfelt in the way she's giving her offering and worshiping the Lord. Well, Jesus, in, in seeing all of this go down, Jesus, in verse 21, just says he looked up. He looked up from this conversation with the Sadducees and the scribes. He looked up from what he had just said, and he pointed out this contrast to the rich who are putting their gifts in the offering box. Now, here's the thing that we're going on, was going on here. Jordan, you want to grab that and just bring that up here for, for a second. So around the temple, 
there were 13 offering boxes that were around the temple uh, court. So just turn it this way. That's perfect. And, and so there was these, this is a very crude representation made up of parts from the Mission Thrift Store and Princess Otto. Okay. <laughs> Reasonably certain that did not happen in the temple. They were probably finely crafted wooden boxes that would have sat on the ground. But they did have, this is my attempt with this funnel, uh, they did have a horn that came out from it and the offering, metal horn, and the offerings would go into that. And of course, the, it, the neck would narrow so that people couldn't reach in and take any money out because that apparently was a problem back then. And so this is the way these offering boxes were, were created. So then what, what would happen is these offerings would all be given, people would give, worshipers would come, and it would go to three basic areas of the, of the ministry of the temple. It would go through the, to the actual building of the temple, which needed ongoing work all the time. So let's call that the building fund. Money would also go in and it would go for the general ministry of the temple. So the uh, paying the priests and, and uh, make sure that the, the sacrificial system was all funded and could, could happen and all the things they needed to make that happen and the vestments and all of that, the regular ministry of the temple. And then the third thing would be alms, what we would call um, our hope fund. And this is where we just help out people who are in our tough place. And so even back then in the pattern of how we give and what we give to today, we see that pattern reflected all those um, millennia ago in how the temple was functioning. Well, here's, here's how it would happen. So then no set offering time. People would just come and give their offerings. And um, when this woman would come up, when she came up, she would just take her two, her two pennies, her two little copper coins, and she just put it in. And it, and it wouldn't make hardly any noise at all. There's no way that that would have caught anybody's attention or, or, or that anybody would have thought that that was remarkable. It was just two little coins going into the offering thing. But then when the rich guy came along with his little bag of coins, of course, no uh, dollar bills back then and nobody uh, giving their offering on an iPhone. And so, you know, they come along with their bag filled with coins and they give. Well, you see, that would be like trumpeting trumpeting and announcing your offering to everyone. And when a huge noise like that was made from the giving of an offering, people would turn around and go, oh, look how generous he was. He gave such a great offering and everybody would know it. And it would allow that rich person to just live such a pretentious, pretending type of life. The offering wasn't coming from the heart. Thanks, Jordan. And, and so we need to ask ourselves the question, when we give what we're giving, is it sincere from the heart or, 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 or are we giving for some other reason? It's raising the question, why'd you give what you gave today? Where's your heart at? Is it pretense or sincerity? Is it pretending to be something or are you actually being something? She did it because she loved God and she wanted to give. It was an offering that flowed from her heart. I mean, I'll just say this. I've said it before. If you can't give from your heart, don't give. You might not hear a lot of pastors ever say that, but if you can't give from your heart, don't give. If you don't want to give, don't give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. 2 Corinthians um, 8 and 9 are two great chapters on giving. But in chapter 9, verse 7, Jesus just simply says to us that we should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. Paul's talking about this whole offering and the Holy Spirit speaks through him and says, don't give reluctantly, don't give under compulsion. Don't, be, don't feel like you're forced to do this. Because that wouldn't be good for you to be in that place. 
Offering should always come from the heart, never feel coerced or obligatory. A person who loves Jesus wants to give and loves to give. Jesus said a pretentious religious person, verse 47 of chapter 20, just before this section starts, he says, they receive the greater condemnation. I mean, this is where we're doing a heart check right now on our own giving and our own attitude toward generosity and sacrifice. You may recall this quote if you hear during the Made for This uh, series about a year and a half ago. I quoted this from uh, Robert Murray McShane. He said, I fear that there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Then he goes like super sarcastic. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Now, that's to the point, isn't it? If your heart's not in it, don't give. But you also need to pause and hear and heed the warning that's given here. Because if you don't want to give, then there's a very good possibility that you don't love God at all. That you're not one of his children. You need to do a spiritual diagnosis to check that out. And make sure that you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ. The rich with their pretentious offerings will be beggars throughout eternity, as will those whose hearts are stone cold and give nothing at all. And to some here, not all, because many of you get this. It's the thing about a message like this, it kind of like catches us all right now, but there are many here who are generous and living this out and making sacrifices. But there are some here who need to hear this. You have to, I have to grasp the danger of having money and possessions grip your hearts and keeping you from Christ and his kingdom. And if you get nothing else from this message, let it be that. What is your heart attached to? Are you building Christ's kingdom or are you building your own? One final one is while you're putting into Christ's kingdom, selflessness. Is it others-centered? I'm not sure why uh, you give. There are a lot of reasons why a person could give. Perhaps it's a tradition. Uh, your parents taught you to give, and therefore you give, but you haven't really given it a lot of thought. I mean, our family didn't even come to Christ until I was in my teenage years. My mom and dad were in the first service, and um, they um, had had kind of like churchy backgrounds, but we didn't hear the gospel until I was already a teenager. My mom came to Christ first, me a short time later, my daddy uh, about a year or two later. And one of the things about my mom was that from the very moment she became a believer, she just instinctively knew that she should start tithing. That's what she had in her mind because her parents uh, had been um, 
people of faith. They had kind of wandered away from that a little bit uh, during my mom's growing up years, but there was a kind of a set understanding that if you're a believer and you're in the church that you give 10%. And so almost immediately my mom started giving and a lot of blessing, by the way, has come off of that. But she did it not necessarily because she understood anything about it. She did it because it was tradition. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Maybe some of us are doing it out of obligation. You know, I just feel like, oh, God wants me to do it, so I'm going to do it. And that's kind of the attitude we bring to it. Uh, maybe, um, maybe you have a sense that you're paying God back for something. Oh, you're not, and you can't afford to. Okay? There's nobody paying God back for anything. Okay? Uh, maybe you think you're earning your salvation by making an offering, that by doing certain good things, if I do all these things, that I, I earn my standing with God, and uh, you're not. That's a very, very bad theology. Maybe you're trying to leverage him for something. You know, it's like I got this request before God, so I've upped my offerings. So, dear Lord, you know, I want this thing over here. I've been talking to you about it a lot lately, and I don't know if you noticed, but I'm giving more now. And you're trying to leverage God for something, and uh, you need to stop praying that and stop doing that. So, I think there's some reasons why we might give that aren't right on the mark, but if we were to build a list of good reasons why we give, let's, let's do that now. Five good reasons uh, to give. And I would just say about these good reasons to give that all of them are rooted in the cross. All of them are rooted in what Jesus did for us. And when you really think about offerings being given and you think about the offering of himself, Jesus Christ, his offering to us, and you think about these three words again, was the offering of Jesus Christ to us, was it not sacrificial? I mean, he sacrificed his very life for us. Was it, was it not sincere? Did it not come from his heart? God loved the world. God so loved the world that he sent his son from his heart because he loved us. And of course, was the death of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, was it not selfless in every way? Was it not, I'm totally thinking about you and saving you. You're in the desperate place and I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to put myself to open shame. I'm going to allow myself to be beaten and scourged. I'm going to allow myself to be pinned to the cross, to bleed to death. I'm going to go through that moment where the, the sins of the world are heaped on top of me, and I'm going to feel a separation between me and the Father that's never been felt before. Completely selfless. So here's, here's Jesus. All the reasons why I would give are, are based in what he did for me, sacrificing and sincere and selfless in every way. So five good reasons to give. Number one is obedience to God. We have a mission. We're on it. We need to obey him and give to him and to that mission. Two, to express love for God. It's just a good thing to give gifts to people you love. We do it all the time. So give him a gift. Express your love for him in that way. It's an act of worship to God. And there are people who sometimes say, you know, 83%, this is true, 83% of our offerings come in online or through banking now, 83%. So we're only, we're only collecting here in the worship time, we're only collecting 17% of what we bring in every week. It's, it's not a whole lot, but sometimes we've received criticisms in the past. We don't really hear this much anymore, but I just like the act of worship in the service. And I feel like when I just set up 
my banking, it just doesn't feel like an act of worship. But of course, we understand it's an act of worship every time you give, whether the bank is doing it for you or not. You know, on Fridays when RBC sucks that money out of my account and sends it to Harvest Bible Chapel, that's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. No less so than if you do it right here, right now. I mean, we understand that our worship as the followers of Jesus Christ is not limited to a single time and place once a week. Our worship of Christ is to be 24-7. The very fabric of our lives is to be worshiping Him. And so it doesn't matter when you give, it's an act of worship to Christ. Fourth, it's a, it's a thank you to God. Just to, I'm so grateful for what you did. Here, have some money. And fifth, we do this from a sense of mission. I mean, what we do here in this church, what God has entrusted to us, this costs something to do. The physical facility, the staff that we have, the ministry allocations, the mission that we're on, all of it costs. It, this mission needs to be funded if it's to be carried out. And your generosity does that. And it's really this last one that I'm thinking about as I think about the poor widow. Now, for sure, all five could be true of her and probably were. But her selflessness really speaks to the needs of others to hear the word and experiencing the worship. If you start to think about the three directions that an offering goes, to help with the physical plant, the building, to help with the ministry allocations, the, the worship and the sacrificial system that they have, to help with the alms, to help the less fortunate. Can you imagine this woman, a portion of what she gave would go to the less fortunate. She has this in mind. Her offering is so selfless. She's not thinking about herself at all. And she trusted the leaders of the temple to use that money to draw people to God. In the context of the temple ministry, to worship, to allow them to worship and to care for them in the name of the Lord. In this moment, when she puts her two-penny gift into the offering box, she is certainly not thinking about herself at all. Right at the end of verse 4, it says, she put in all she had to live on. She put in all she had to live on. She could have taken those two copper coins and gone to the market and bought herself some food for the day. And I have to be upfront with you. If, if, a, if a widow came to, to the church office and she was ushered into my office and we had a seat together and she said, I have 15 bucks left in my bank account and I want to give it to the church. I want to be honest with you and tell you, I told her not to. I mean, I would just go into super practical mode and I would be thinking about her and I would just say, I don't think that's the wisest thing. And of course, in my mind also, I'm thinking 15 bucks is nothing compared to the amount of money we're going to bring in this week. What's 15 bucks? It's two pennies. So I'd be like, that's not really a... It's not like I'm thinking in my mind. It's not really a significant gift, but it's super significant to you. And you could probably keep that money and head over to No Frills and buy some food. In fact, what I would probably do is say, keep your 15 bucks. And by the way, here's a $50 gift card to Zares. That's what I would do. Am I the only one? Or are you thinking like practically that way too? It's, 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 it's a measured response. But the problem is, to come back to what happened in Samuel, I'm only looking at the situation with my eyes. I'm not seeing the thing that God's doing in her heart and might want to do through her. I'm not, I'm not necessarily thinking that the 15 bucks is going to be the biggest offering we receive this week. 
See, this giving thing, is a, it's between you and God. And no one should stand in between that. It has to be, it has to be you working it out. And so I, I get to looking at it with my eyes and I give counsel that isn't even godly counsel, though it seems practically wise. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the head of the church and not your pastor, right? I'd be, I'd be messing it up all the time. And so really when we start talking about this, because this is scales for everybody, so then what's the right amount? See, for some people, it might be 2% or 5% of your income is sacrificial. And for other people, 10, 15, 20, and even 25% doesn't even leave a mark. And you don't even notice a difference in their lifestyle. That's why every single person needs to get before the Lord and decide and be persuaded what they're going to do. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the other part of the verse that I didn't share, Paul said this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's between you and God. And here's Jesus. This is what we want to be commended for as we make our own decision. Jesus is going to commend you for sacrifice, for sincerity in the gift, and for selflessness. In other words, when I give, Whatever that portion is, if it's going to be selfless and sacrificial especially, it means that there are some things that I can't do in life. There's things I can't have because I'm a kingdom builder. Is that true for you? He commends this woman for her sacrifice, her sincerity, for for thinking of others before herself, her selflessness. She exemplified what we have on our wall in the West Lobby. She exemplified in her gift of two pennies. She exemplified love God, love people. Your gifts say whether or not you love people. They say whether or not you love God. They say whether you are selfless or selfish. They say whether you are on mission for Jesus Christ or on mission for yourself. As we think about how we're going to respond to this, I think it would be easy for us, some of us who are struggling in this area who haven't given, just to take out our iPhone right now and get to our banking app and, and give a gift. And maybe there's some people feeling some weight of guilt over that. And you want to respond in the immediate with something. And I'd actually caution against that. I think we could knee-jerk into a response that we might regret later that isn't genuinely from our hearts. The better response would be for us to take what we've heard here this morning and take it home and look at our budget and look at our income and our expenses and all of that and do an evaluation and say, are we in the place we need to be? Does our budget and our giving, does it, does it pass the scrutiny of these three words? If you're married, to, to talk about it with your spouse. If it's helpful to talk to a counselor, to talk to people in your, in your small group, to get input on, and for sure, to get with God and pray for the Holy Spirit to lead you in this. And so what I thought we would do is we would actually start with that right now. 
start with that work of seeking the Lord over all of this. And so I want you to just set aside your Bibles and your, and your notes and pens, and I, I just want you to bow your heads uh, with me right now. And I want you to think about these three words. Let's just start there. Is my giving sacrificial, sincere, and selfless? To think through all of that for yourself. And I want you to respond to him. I'm going to give you several minutes just to pray about that and think about it. And to get your heart set for what God might want to say to you this week. The worship team's just going to play as we think and as we consider, as we pray. And then they're going to lead us into a song. Quiet at first. It's going to help us respond. The song is actually going to be our, our prayer of commitment. So you spend this time with the Lord.